as we go into Thanksgiving, which you saw in pictures and, and even in colors as we're in fall, that's the season that's coming up next. Maybe you guys have different things you got planned. Uh, maybe there's dinners, family gatherings, some shopping you want to do. Whatever it might be going to Thanksgiving, it's during these seasons of the year when it makes me think about what we really believe or what we really celebrate. How many of us go into this Thanksgiving Christmas season and think, you know what? I have so much to be thankful for and mean it sincerely. Like, I'm not trying to guilt trip you guys like, oh, if you don't come up with anything, something's wrong with you. But just kind of being honest about the things that we're looking ahead. For high school seniors, I don't think looking towards college apps and, and acceptances is something that always makes you feel at ease. Maybe we're looking left and right and seeing what our friends are doing during this time. Because everyone gets the week off, so what are they up to? Maybe we're thinking about the things that we want and what should go on our wish list if there were just people to give us those things or parents that were willing to buy them. But either way, I, I think that this season is interesting because it probably shows up a lot more of who we are and what we do more than just the fact that we happen to celebrate them together, whether in our homes or with our friends or here at church. And so I wanted today's message to hit us then on that front is there's a general sense, I feel, and sometimes you know it's in my heart too, that my life is not enough, that I'm missing something. I'm missing someone. I'm missing some opportunity. And because that is true, you go into a season like Thanksgiving, and instead of actually being grateful the way that the Bible tells us we should be, we're not. We're looking around, comparing ourselves to other people, wondering why they have the happiness that we want so much for ourselves, but yet we don't. Well, I'm not here to say that this passage will take away your feelings or even the understanding or the application of what God has said will all of a sudden make you this perfect person that's grateful in Thanksgiving and generous in Christmas. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that for us to even celebrate these seasons and also just to look around and show love to the people in our lives, it really begins with not so much who we are and what's happening with everyone else, it actually begins with what God has already done and how that changes us and fills us and satisfies us and makes us complete. Now, that takes faith to believe in, that you are actually complete, that as you're sitting here with so much ahead of you that you are complete. But the Bible teaches that if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, there is no more greater thing that could be added to your life that would make you more satisfied, more happy, and more joyful. Do you believe that? Maybe not. And that makes us all in the same place. This is why we need God's word this morning, because we actually need what we cannot provide for ourselves or what we cannot get no matter how old we are. If we are not finding ourselves complete because of what God has done, I guarantee you, you will never feel complete no matter how many things you accomplish, how many friends you have, and how much money is in your bank account. It begins with what God has already done in and for us in Christ. Then we can go out and go forth and see all these challenges and frustrations and difficulties and hardships and go, you know what? Yeah, I don't have all the answers, but I don't need to prove myself to be accepted by God. God loves me as I am. 
in Christ. So let's pray, and we'll go into Colossians chapter 2. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for today. I thank you, Lord, that you have a word for each and every one of us because we were before Christ alone without help, dissatisfied without any reprieve, and also without hope for the future, much less the opportunity to get what we want and what we desire in this life. But we thank you, Lord, that you sent your son Jesus into the world so that because of what he has done for us, not only can we find ourselves in him and make him our hero, but Lord, that we're able through him to truly see our lives as a work in your hands. And that because you loved us, you're not done with us. And because you're not done with us, we don't have to worry or compare or wonder how someone else's life is. God, we thank you, Lord, for being the one that truly satisfies our hearts and its yearnings. And I pray, Lord, that today your word will remind us of how good you are and help us to look closer at Jesus so that we'll know the real thing and not look away and chase fake things and pursue idols and settle for counterfeits. I thank you, God, for loving us so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Next slide, please. So this is to recap to something that I had shared last month when I preached from um, Colossians chapter 1. It's this diagram that I hope is able to put to us visually this journey that God's people are on. And that's all of us if we are in Christ. So every person born into this world, we come in with sinful hearts, selfish hearts, that even when we're trying to do good things, there's probably something in it for us. That's normal. That's how we're wired because we're sinful creatures. We are then following the leadership and the rule of Satan, who is the prince of the power of the air and the king of the domain of darkness. We all start there. And if we end there, then we will continue to be separated from God, who made us, who loves us, who knows us, and who provides and sustains us even now, regardless of whether we are following Jesus or not. But see, God is so good. He didn't want to make people and leave us there. So what he did is he sent his son Jesus into the world, and his son lived a perfect life, died the death that paid for the punishment we deserve for our sins because of his holiness, and he is risen from the dead, alive today at the right hand of God. And if we are to put our faith in him, what we will be able to experience is what God is doing and what he has been doing throughout human history, is that he rescues sinners and he delivers them from their sin and from their darkness and puts them into the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus. So if you were living in the Old Testament, you were looking ahead towards Jesus as the Messiah with hope. Now that Jesus and his death and resurrection are behind us in history, we now bank on the fact that Christ is alive and we could put our trust in him and be saved. And then we are now able experience the fullness of that in terms of being transferred into his kingdom but God's not done eventually everything will be made perfect and right when Jesus returns but now we can see in this life that we've been delivered and transferred into his kingdom if we put our faith in Jesus so this is what God is doing all around the world throughout human history and at the end what we hope to see and what we hope to be a part of which we could barely see right now because of 
how clouded our lens is in seeing the world and seeing others. But eventually, we will see God face to face, and we will see each other in who we're meant to be, perfect, sinless, full of love and full of life. So this is the work that God is doing right now through his son, Jesus Christ. And so he is doing this in your life personally, but then he is then giving you this family that you're a part of. And that's what this church is all about here at FCBC Walnut. To talk about what Jesus has done, to share that with you with joy, and then as you come to faith in Jesus and receiving him, then we're able to be that church family that lives out in this life what God will give to us for eternity. Let's go to the next slide. And so here's the two verses that came right before today's passage. And it's really important. Here are the two verses. And it's because if we know who we are, especially in reference to what God is doing, then starting in verse 8, when the Apostle Paul says, don't do this, we'll understand why. So I want to pick it up from here. Just really quick reading of verses two, uh, 6 to 7 of chapter 2. So this is what the Apostle Paul says. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So you catch that word thanksgiving at the end and how fitting it is, right? So we could actually be grateful for reals if we are anchored and rooted in Christ and growing and build ourselves up in him. So this then shows a relationship. You can know all this stuff, but it's up to you to receive it. Each of you guys needs to choose to follow Jesus on your own. That you need to see what Jesus has done for your sins as being for you, and then you're trusting and putting your faith in him to save you, to rescue you, and to be your king. So as you do that, though, then you have a life to live. You have a life that builds deeper these roots in who Jesus is and what he has done. And then as you go deeper in Christ, like a tree, when the roots go deep and all the nutrients come up, then the tree grows and then it starts to bear fruit. That's what each of us, if we are following Christ, that's what our lives are supposed to look like. That we go deeper in our knowledge and relationship with him, and then we grow taller in health and in joy and in vibrancy, and then fruit comes out from us. Like we become a blessing to other people. And it's not because we're trying so hard or we're looking at each other and feeling pressured. It's because that's what it looks like when you put your roots into Jesus. It's something that happens to you and you just get to put it on display because God is changing you. That's what we want for all of you. That's what we hope that each of you would consider, choose, and then receive for yourselves. But then the beauty then is if we are in the same boat together, and that we've received Jesus, then we're able to not only live together, serve each other, and also grow together, but then we could also give thanks together. And that's an amazing thing. So let's go on then to the first point, which then will bring us into verse 8. The first point is Christ is everything. Okay? So he's the one we're supposed to put our roots in. He's the one that allows us to grow and bear fruit. He is everything. And because he is so... Let me start reading from verse 8. Next slide, please. This is the opposite of what Paul just told you to do, okay? If you were to go in this direction. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, 
and not according to Christ. So if you don't put your roots in Jesus, this is what you're putting your roots in. And even Christians are tempted a lot of times to put our roots somewhere else. Physically coming to church or having a Bible or knowing Christian people doesn't mean that you're putting your roots there. Putting your roots in Jesus means that that is what you're aiming to do with your life. And we definitely do it so much better together instead of just doing it by ourselves. But this is what Paul then is warning the Christians in Colossae about. See, there are people that are trying to tell them that, you know what, Jesus, that's great, but you need Jesus and other things in order to truly be happy. You need Jesus and extra information and knowledge and access in order to really be saved. Jesus is not enough. So then you're wondering, okay, if Jesus is not enough, then what more do I need? And there you go. The other teachers are like, let me tell you what you need because Jesus is not enough. Come to me. Let me tell you what you need to know. It's not the Bible, the Old Testament Bible, or the letters. It's something new and something different. So you look at this, and you see the word philosophy. Is philosophy bad? No. In fact, you're probably here and there taking philosophy classes, or when you go to college, you might take some philosophy courses as well. Philosophy is just how you think and why you do what you do. That's not bad. But what is bad is when the philosophy is something that drives you away from God. And so Paul describes it as empty deceit in that there is no substance there. It's not true. It's not real. It might look good and pretty, but it's tricking you. It's like that ad that you click on that goes to somewhere that you just didn't want to go in the first place. It's not that ads are bad, but it's a useless ad or it's you know not important or you don't care or it's something actually kind of evil and you don't want to see it. So philosophy that is away from God and who he is and onto who we are in our sinfulness and making about us, Paul says, is empty conceit. You keep going here. According to human tradition, it's not that traditions are bad. Just like you guys that have the rhythm of coming to church every Sunday, going to Unicorn Fridays and reading your Bible and praying every day, that's good. But not if it's human tradition in that you're doing it just to make someone else happy, that you're doing it just because you're supposed to, or you're doing it because you're so afraid what happens to you if you don't, right? It's when people are pressuring you, then it's bad. According to the elemental spirits of the world, which of that time is water, earth, fire, right? And it's not centered and organized by who God is. So same idea. If you were to think about life where God did not exist and just make everything you do with that idea that God is not there and he doesn't care and that he's not going to do or change anything in your life or that he's just left you there, right? He made you and left you and you have no hope and no help. That's empty deceit. That is philosophy that is not good. So if life is all there is, there's no God, there's no heaven, and no Christ, do not be captive to that. Now, there's something here that's maybe insightful about our heart, is that we all want to love something. We all want to believe in something, which is why the word captive is there. Is it's not just you believe something, it's that your heart wants it. And so if you believe something enough, 
it's going to hold you so tight that it draws you in everything that you say and you do and you want. It keeps you prisoner. That's what captive is. And so the things that you want the most in your life holds you captive. And if it's not God, then Paul is warning you against that. I'm going to share something with you that I learned and I heard from my pastor when I was your age. And this is not something uh, extra knowledge, okay? I'm not saying that at all. But this is something that actually has helped me in that I don't have to think about it to always come to it and remember. There are three Ps in life that matter. I want you to say it with me. Three Ps that matter. Number one, person. Say it. Person. Who you know, your relationships. Number two, position. Position. It's what you can accomplish, okay, and where you are in life. And number three, possession. Possession. What you have. So what are the three Ps? Person, position, possession. Okay. So here's how captive by philosophy and empty deceit without Christ might look like. So you can look at person, right? Who you know in your relationships. Of course it's good to have friends. Of course you should have community and people that know you and people that you know and people that love you and care for you and that you can do the same. There's nothing wrong with that. You look further ahead, and maybe you're not that far yet, but you will get there soon. It is meaningful to want to get married for many of you and have children. That is not a bad thing. It is a wonderful thing for many, okay? But here's the thing. It is a lie to believe that you are incomplete as a person without those things or that something is wrong with you if you're single or you have less friends, or you're less popular. You see, you see how it kind of spins? So relationships are good, but not when by empty deceit, man-centered philosophy, then you twist it to make it it's about you. Let me give you another example. Social media. It's a tool. It wasn't meant for bad. It's good to be connected to others. Especially during the pandemic, I know none of us enjoyed the Zoom calls, but let's face it, without technology like that, you couldn't be connected to people all that far. So it's meant to be something good, and even as you're going through various apps, you're seeing what's going on in people's lives. That's not bad, because it's nice to know what your friends or family, what they're up to, and their hobbies or interests or cool things happening in their lives. That's not bad. That's normal. That's your humanity, that you care about people and that you want to know what is happening with them. And then if you share it, it's the same thing. You want to keep each other updated about what's going on in your life. That's not bad. But it's not healthy to base your self-image or your self-worth based on what people think of you and what your posts say or how many likes you get or how many friends you have. You see how that gets spun a little bit? Social media as a tool connects people in ways that we've never been connected before in history, ever. You could talk and have a friendship with like anyone in the world. That's amazing. I'm sure on many levels that is an answer to prayer. But empty deceit and human philosophy would make it, you know what, but it's not just a tool, it is actually you. How you portray yourself, how many people like you, how many people comment about you, especially compared to other people, that's how good you are or how bad you are. That's how valuable you are or how worthless you are. 
If people don't like and respond to your post right away, you're not important as a human being. Because look at that other person that gets like a thousand likes in like six hours. You see how that gets fun? There's a difference. Now, the second one was position. The first one's person. Position, what you can accomplish. You guys are all in school, as far as I can see. So that is not a bad thing. It's good to be in school. It's good to use this season of your life to study hard and to do well academically. And if you go on to go to college, it's not the only option, but if you go on to go to college to prepare for a vocation or you go to some other school or training, that's all great. Wonderful. You should. There's no point in just sitting around and not being a good steward of this opportunity that God's given to you and your family as well. But it is not true to think you're missing out if you don't get into that college, if you don't get into that major, if you can't afford to go across the country or all your friends made it to here and you're stuck here. That's not the same. It's good to be productive with your life and to study hard and to give your best to God in school. But it is not the same for it to be a measure of whether you're good enough. See, that's position. And I'm speaking to you guys in this way right now because you're on school, but that challenge never changes because when you're in college, your status is going to shift in terms of what you can achieve, but the same heart issues are there. When you're done with college or trade school or vocation, you're in the workforce, you're going to be comparing how much money you're going to make, what title do you have, where do you work, how big is your company. All these are things that measure position. And if you're not satisfied in something greater than that, you will never be. The last one, number three, is possession. What you have. This goes right into Thanksgiving and Christmas like so much because we've completely commercialized what is supposed to be a gratitude from the heart and a, a season of worship to Christ. We've made it all about stuff. So you could get stuff earlier, get stuff cheaper, get more stuff so that you could give away stuff and receive more stuff. That's a lot of times what our culture is telling us. So having things and stuff is not bad. I don't think any of us think that it's godly to have nothing, right? The Bible doesn't even teach us that. To have nothing is godliness. And you definitely want the stuff that you like. I don't think we should aim to get stuff we don't like. That's weird, too. Then just don't get the stuff, right? That's, that's weird. But it's a lie to believe that you can't be happy without that stuff. You can't be happy without having certain things. Driving certain cars, wearing certain brands, spending certain amounts of money to eat at certain places, wearing certain clothes. That doesn't make you happy. That's a lie. That's human philosophy and empty deceit when it's all about you. So you can see why things probably don't change that much from Paul's time to now. Even though the stuff they have, the technology that they have, and maybe the types of roles and status they have are different than us, but the three Ps resonates with all of us because that's also how we're wired. And a little bit of a clue here, we were wired that way because God always intended to satisfy us perfectly through Christ in those three ways. But we'll get to that at the end. So let's go. Ahead and, oh, same slide. Verse 9. Here's why we shouldn't settle. For in him, that's Jesus, the whole fullness 
of deity dwells bodily. Reason why you shouldn't settle for earthly things, earthly status, and earthly relationships alone is because Christ is everything you could ever want and need. In this short verse alone, he is God, which means he's 100% man, which we know because he lived and died and is raised, but he's 100% God, which maybe sometimes, especially during Paul's time, people were comparing Jesus to other pagan and Roman gods, or even the emperor said that he was a god. So is Jesus special? According to Paul, yes. He's the God. He is deity. You know, recently there was a, a series um, that ended on Marvel and television. Loki, I, I liked it actually. There's more movies coming out, a bunch of movies that came before. The reason why I bring that up is because it always makes me think of the nature of superheroes when these things come and go. You realize that superheroes, they're kind of just like slightly better versions of us. Have you thought of that before? Like they all have a flaw, if not more. They all have like something about them that fails. There's something about almost every superhero that's imperfect. Which is why when you bring the Avengers together, it's kind of cool because they complement each other. Or other types of teams, it's nice because if you can't do this, that person can do this. If you can't do that, that person can do this, and they work together. So there's a way in which that you know, reflects the beauty of even you know, the body of Christ, members coming together for the common good. But there are no perfect superheroes. And the reason why is because every superhero was modeled and fashioned to people like us. In fact, it might be a little boring to find the absolute perfect superhero because then all conflict is over, right? It's done. It's like there's no more shows, no more episodes, no more good versus evil. And that makes us feel a little uneasy or maybe not as entertained. But it's so true. There are no perfect superheroes. But see, Jesus, according to Paul, is that perfect superhero. He is the hero of the superheroes. He is the absolute perfect God with no flaws. He is the absolute perfect human being with no sin. There is no error and no blemish with him. And so Paul wants us to look at him and not settle for human wisdom and empty deceit. Look at Jesus because then we'll want the right things. Going on to verse 10. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And so the perfect savior, the perfect human being, the perfect God, here's the mystery of godliness, right? That Christ in us, the hope of glory, that there's this amazing mystery that in the Old Testament was not shown yet, but now we know in fullness that Christ could be in us, even though we are imperfect and flawed, sinful instruments, but we are his image bearers. So he loves us. And if we trust him, he could be in us. But then guess what? We are also in Christ. So he protects us and he covers us and God sees him when he sees us. That's the mystery. How can Christ be both in you and you be in Christ? Kind of confusing, right? And the people in the Old Testament, they were kind of baffled about how all this works too. But that's then what Paul's trying to explain to us. And with that, I want to go into the second point. Knowing who Jesus is and then knowing that we are found in him, then what is our identity. There are four things. I'm going to go ahead and read the passage first, and then I want to go ahead and talk about the four things. So starting from verse 11, next slide, please. 
Paul continues to write, In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rules and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's go to the next slide. So here are the four things. Verse 11, number one, God circumcised our hearts spiritually. It's kind of interesting. I'm getting all the passages on circumcision if you're here for Unicoi as well. So that's a little funny, uh, I got to admit. But if you don't know what circumcision is, it's a removal of the foreskin from the penis. And so this was a physical separation of God's people from the pagan nations. So God actually commanded this of his people Israel, saying that on the eighth day, if you're a baby, then you need to be circumcised. And if you were to become an Israelite, then physically you need to identify with the males through circumcision. So this was meant to be a way by which they really could be different than every other nation around them. By this time, this was very ordinary for Jewish people. This isn't weird. It is what is expected. And actually, there's not just shame, but there's punishment and discipline if a male who is Jewish is not circumcised. Now, Paul uses this intentionally because what this describes, this ritual, is a way by which you could belong to God's people and show that you have a relationship with God. And so Paul is saying that right now, because we are not just talking to Jewish people, this is not a Jewish nation. This is a Christian people, followers of Jesus, the kingdom of the Son. Then here's how this idea of circumcision connects to what God has done in your life. We're taught in the Bible that you are a new creation in Christ if you become a Christian, if you follow Jesus. And so what then Christ has done is that he's taken you, a sinner, he's taken me, a sinner, and he's literally cut off the part of us that deserves punishment and wrath in his eyes. And he's saying, you are set apart, and now you have the righteousness of my son. That's amazing, and that's beautiful. And the beauty of this is that it's not just about men, you guys. This sounds a little weird, but circumcision is very specific, isn't it? This is not just about Jewish men. This is about all peoples. And that's the good news that Paul had even for the Colossians, is that if you're a Christian, any one of you could be a Christian. Any one of you. It's not just by the gender that you're born. You could be a Christian because Christ will do that amazing spiritual work of making you brand new in him. That if you put your faith in Jesus, you will be spiritually the same as any other follower of Christ. And it's not just by what people can see or by something that a person does, but it is by a change of your heart and a transformation of your heart. So if you're a Christian here today, then that's actually who you are, is that God has taken away the punishment that you deserve for your sin, and he circumcised it out of your life so that when he sees you, he sees his son. And that is beautiful, what God sees. The second point is this. God has buried our sins with Christ 
and raised us up to new life. We just had baptisms. That's what baptism is supposed to show. In our church, we make a lot of effort to dunk you right. So when we dunk you and we tell this to the baptism candidates, uh, we do, no lie, we say that we're going to push you all the way down. We're going to push you until you're completely underneath the water. Our only promise is that we'll pick you up again. Okay, but we're going to push you down. So if you have like a little bit of a nose hair that's sticking out of the water, we're pushing you down. Why? Not because that makes you a better person, but because baptism by immersion is such a beautiful and accurate physical picture of who we are in Christ. Is that all we had going into this relationship with God is our sin. We had a ton of it. Some of us have more than others, but we all have a lot of it. But what Christ did is that he took away the punishment we deserved, gave us his righteousness, justified us, and made us into his family. And so when he died, we went with him. That's what it means to be in Christ. We went with him, right? I'm so glad I didn't actually have to do that. But he went to the cross. He died. It was horrible, but we were there. And then when he's risen and God sees him and goes, wow, that is my son. I'm proud of him, right? Worship him. We're there with him. Not that people worship us, but we're like getting the shine. We're getting like the shine that Jesus has because of who he is. Baptism shows that in a very, very imperfect and temporary way. But that's why we do what we do, because it reminds you, if you get married, your wedding day should be kind of like that, okay? You pop a ring on a finger, it's more than that. You, get, you give a kiss, it's more than that. It's where five years, ten years later, you look back, you're all, oh my gosh, that's the day I got married. Changed my life forever. And that was not the best day of my life, because hopefully you're still making those as you go. Baptism does that. Right? It reminds us of who we are spiritually, but then also it shows us physically how meaningful it is. See, we were not meant to die as God's image bearers. We were meant to live forever with him. So when we die, which I know at where you're coming from, death seems so far away, but I know also that in this room we've lost loved ones. So I don't take it for granted that some of us are close to death in terms of experience. It seems far it doesn't seem right because in your hearts you know that there's something weird about the fact that we would die and should die. There's something wrong with that. Life shouldn't have to end, especially for some tragically, painfully. This is why baptism and being raised with Christ, even every single time I see it, I know I love it. Because it's not just that that person, oh, good for you, you're a Christian, or that you completed this thing or you get a certificate. But it's every single time I see a baptism, I'm reminded of God's promise that death is not the end, no matter how old we are. That we could look ahead to a life in which we will be raised as Christ was raised and live in fullness of joy forever. That is the promise for the people of God in Christ. And I love that. I love that. Now, if you're a Christian and you have been baptized, consider it. I mean, you should, but I want you to consider it. I'm not up here making you do stuff without thinking. You should consider it, and then you should take my class, which starts in February, and then we'll talk about it. And you might not be ready, and that's okay. I will be the last person to force you down. I mean, I'll force you down when you're getting baptized, but I'm, I'll be the last person to force you to take this step. 
But I want to tell you all about it. And I want to point you to the joy and the beauty of how it points to Christ. Okay? Number three. This, number three, number four, actually breaks down more of what it means that we are accepted by God and that we are complete in Christ. So point number three, God canceled our debt through the cross. When you get in trouble, there's a price to pay, right? If you are spared that punishment or that price or that fine or that discipline, it's not that no one paid the price. It's that whoever it is that gave you the punishment decided I will absorb it for myself. So let's say you owe someone $100, right? And, or you, you know, were speeding on a freeway or something, which some of you might do, so be careful, don't do that. If you speed on a freeway and you get caught, right, you have to pay a fine. If you pay a fine, let's say you get away with it, and that, oh, the fine is forgiven. It's not that the fine disappears. It's that the police or the government decides, I will absorb that fine so that that person doesn't have to pay. There's always a price to pay. There's always a consequence for everything that we do in life. So when we sin against a perfect and holy God who is perfectly just, perfectly right, will not let bad guys go and will punish bad guys because he should, that's justice. When Christ is on us and we become justified, it's actually where we are declared to be right with God. So this is the technical theological definition, that you are declared righteous. Are you perfect? No. Do you sin? Yes. But you are no, you are no longer needing to pay the price because Jesus paid the price for your sin. But see, that's where number four comes in. Because we know this part, especially if you were raised in a Christian family or coming to church, you know all of the technical stuff. You know all the Christian language. You know justification, what it means. But sometimes you feel so far away from God. You're like, yeah, that's true, but I still feel like I'm not good enough for God or I don't feel close to God or that God doesn't accept me. This is where point number four comes in, in that God actually shames the enemies and welcomes us in as his family. The Bible describes a Christian's relationship with God as being one where we are adopted into God's family through Jesus. So it's not just like, okay, you're okay, I'm not going to punish you, but I love you. You are welcome in my presence. You are welcome in my home. We're having Thanksgiving dinner. There's a seat for you. We don't always think of God that way. We just think of God as he's going to throw lightning at us, but good thing he threw it at Jesus instead of me, right? But that doesn't mean that you grow to love God. A lot of times we don't love God even though we know we're forgiven. And it's because we don't have a relationship with God, but it's not because God didn't make one with us. Is that we don't recognize that we are a part of his family. Here's a saying that you may hear in the future. I didn't make it up, but it makes so much sense to me. You know who could wake up a king at 3 a.m.? A baby. His baby. A baby could wake up a king at 3 a.m. and not worry. That's who you are in Christ. You are a child in the household of the king. So it's not just that you're forgiven, but hey, be distant because you don't want to, you're afraid, you don't want to sin, you don't want to mess things up. You're in the family in Christ. You have a seat at the table of the king in Christ. You're always welcomed whether you did everything right or not in Christ. 
And God's not done with you because you remember that you're on the road towards eternity, towards maturity, and towards growth. If you're rooted in Christ, you will grow and bear fruit. So God's not done with you. And most of you guys who are in junior high and high school, you're just getting started. But yet you might still struggle with those feelings of not being accepted or not being wanted or not being loved by God. So I want to tell you that the fact that you're adopted, if you are a Christian, it means everything. That is what makes you complete because you are missing no one, you are missing no status, and you have the highest position, and you have all of the riches and glory in Christ Jesus right now. You just need to grow into it. You just need to grow into it, and it takes time. But you start by not looking at everything else, and you start by looking at Jesus. La last slide, please. Here's the big idea for today. Christ's death and resurrection has set us free to live in honor and joy. Let me say that again. Christ's death and resurrection has set us free to live in honor and joy. Now, in a moment, the worship team will come up, and the song they're going to lead us in is Amazing Love. If you are a Christian today, you've received Christ, as Colossians mentions in chapter 2, verse 6, in that you've repented and put your faith in Jesus, then I invite you to worship him in fullness. What he has done is done. What you have put your faith in is true, and now you want to live rooted in him so that you can grow and mature. And life won't be easy. There'll be suffering and hardships. You're not going to get everything that you want, and others will seem like they're better than you. But you are in the presence and in the company and in the household of the king, and you're free to live in honor and joy. In other words, you don't ever have to put your head down while you're looking around wondering why someone else has it better than you. And you can have real joy that's not manufactured by scrolling or by buying stuff or by having friends. It's real joy that comes from the inside out because of who you are in Christ. Now then my last application is if those of you sitting here, if you're not a Christian, I invite you to consider what it means to actually have your life mean something more than just being a better version of yourself or someone that pleases your parents or someone that has a lot of person position and possession. God has all of those things for you in Christ. And we are here as your church family to walk with you and, and work on it together. We don't do it all right. We don't do it all perfectly or well. You could still feel lonely sometimes here at church. You could still feel like being compared to here at church. You could still feel like you're not loved at church. I'm not saying that we do it perfectly well. But if our eyes are on Christ, as Paul is telling the Colossians, then we're just coming together as a bunch of broken people saying, God, we're just your children. Help us out. Help us out. Lead us. Provide for us. Guide us. And make us better, not to be better than other people, but make us better because you want us to be like Jesus.
And you could do that because of what you've already done on the cross. Let's pray. I'm invite the team to come up and lead us after I pray. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for today. I thank you, Father, that your love is amazing, indescribable, unmatchable. It is greater than any person, position, or possession we could ever have in this life because Christ fulfilled and satisfied all those things to show us your love for us. And so, God, remind us, we really need to hear it today, remind us that we are completely complete in Christ, even if it doesn't feel that way sometimes. And then help us to pick each other up. Help us to truly be grateful. Help us, God, to look towards this holiday season with some real expectation that only you can satisfy, but one in which not only will you do so every day, but you would also help us to do it as a part of your church family. So I pray, God, that you would remind us of your beauty and of your goodness and help us, God, to live with full freedom in your honor and joy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.